The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 132 of the podcast where you're joining me here on YouTube. Try to test out the new YouTube creator studio, beta studio maker, live stream, whatever the new platform they're trying to, to push on us is, but um, haven't been able to figure it out yet. So we're, we're going with the, the old school method. I keep Every week I keep bailing out. It asks, like, you want to use the new beta creator studio platform thingy? And every week I try it for two or three minutes and uh, it doesn't work. In any case, today is Sunday, March 24th, and uh, I'll be going solo this week again. Uh, Jeff the Animal Wilson has some family obligations going on, so... Everybody send some positive vibes his way and wish him the best. If you want to reach out to Jeff and let him know how much you miss him here on the show, you can reach him at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. I know I will be doing so, or I'll probably just text him. But, um, you know, I've definitely been missing Jeff because there's nobody to um, balance ideas off of, and there's nobody here to laugh at my jokes even when they're not that great. So, uh, in any case, I'll, I'll just have to keep laughing at my own jokes, which I've gotten used to, you know, being a father and all. It kind of comes with the territory. I think it's actually, it, it, there's no manual for being a father, but I think if there were, that would be part of it. You have to make puns out of pretty much everything, and you're basically required to laugh at your own jokes, I think. Rules one and two in my book, if I were writing the book on parenting, which I'm not, I'm here to talk about mixed martial arts and a little bit of alcohol and maybe some other stuff. I don't know yet, but we had fight night 148 last night in Nashville, Tennessee at the Bridgestone Arena, and it was headlined by Anthony Pettis and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Um, I didn't know how to feel about this one exactly going in. You know, the breakdown I gave you guys last week, I kept it a little bit vague, and that was intentional because I really didn't know how to see this one going down. What I did say to you guys was that, it, you know, on paper, it seems like Stephen Thompson would win this one handily because he's the bigger guy, he's been fighting at welterweight longer, but... One point I did make last week is that Anthony Pettis saw something in Wonder Boy that made him think he could beat him, and that's why he called his name. You know, sometimes you just feel like you have another guy's number. And, you know, those gut feelings aren't always right, but when it's a guy like Anthony Pettis who has been in there with everybody, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a resume more impressive than that of Anthony Showtime Pettis. This guy has been through wars. 
He's been a champion in multiple organizations. Been there, done that. Highlight reels, Wheaties boxes, you know, you name it. He hasn't won all those fights on his resume, but the fact that he's been in there with all these killers and he's still here calling out uh, one of the one of the toughest guys in the sport, one of the most difficult puzzles to solve, maybe in the history of the UFC. You know, if you think about guys that are just really difficult to figure out, you have to put Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in that conversation because not a lot of people have been able to figure it out. And even the people who have figured it out, they haven't been able to do it like impressively. It's basically like avoid him and score points on him without letting him score points on you and maybe bum rush him a couple of times. You know, that's the formula that Tyron Woodley kind of put together. And, you know, we we haven't seen uh, too many people, uh, too many other people able to, to figure that out. I mean, he's knocked out the current middleweight champion, Robert Whitaker. He's got some crazy highlight reel knockouts himself so Pettis decides I'm done making the cut to featherweight he moves back up to lightweight gets in there with Tony Ferguson in one of the craziest fights of the year easily uh and maybe of all time it had kind of an unfortunate ending with Pettis breaking his hand and everything like that but then he decides you know what coming off of this recovery of this broken hand, I want to get in there with Stephen Thompson, who, you know, like I said, one of the hardest puzzles to solve in the history of the sport, in my opinion. You know, just not a lot of people have been able to figure this guy out. And it took Anthony Pettis nearly two rounds to figure out what to do against this guy because Stephen Thompson has a very awkward style. He stands almost completely sideways. He has his hands at his hips. And his hands are so fucking fast. I always forget how fast Stephen Thompson's hands are until I go back and watch his fights. He's able to move in and out of the pocket so quickly. And he doesn't really move his head much. You know, most people are, if they're hard to hit, it's because they have evasive head movement. They move their head off the center line. Stephen Thompson kind of moves his whole body off of the center line. I've talked about this a couple of times in the past as well. So it's a very awkward style to adjust to. He was moving in and out on Pettis and just tagging him up. You know, he was landing his jab at will, that weird jab that comes from strange angles. He busted up Pettis's face. And Pettis had kind of an interesting approach where he was hitting Thompson with rear leg kicks, which is a long way away if you think about it because Thompson stands far away. He's good at using his range to keep distance. And since he's standing completely sideways, that rear leg is really far away. But Pettis, that's how he was closing the distance. He was getting in to throw that kick. He was getting caught, you know, with with some jabs as well when he came in to do that. But what wound up happening was Stephen Thompson was kind of anticipating every time Pettis was coming in um, that he wasn't getting struck in the face. And I think it made him relax a little bit more with keeping his hands down. And the ending sequence was just phenomenal. And 
I don't want to say that I saw it coming, but I, I could feel something coming because this is a, a rare fight for me where I was on the edge of my seat this entire fight. I just felt like at any given moment, something was going to explode. And then with five seconds left in the second round, that's exactly what happened. So Steven Thompson kicks Anthony Pettis. Pettis backs up into the cage and then basically bounces off and comes forward with a Superman punch that wasn't really a Superman punch because a Superman punch is usually a straight punch. This was a Superman punch setup where he leapt up into the air and forward towards Wonder Boy, but then threw a hook. So even if Wonder Boy were to use that jab that he had been using to keep Pettis at distance, you know, the hook would have kind of come around it. And he just came in so fast, Wonder Boy didn't have time to react, and then he was put out cold. This is a guy. To put this into perspective, how impressive this is, this is a guy with over 80 professional fights, 57 and 0 as a kickboxer, uh, you know, over 20 mixed martial arts fights, or maybe 20 exactly. Never been knocked out, and Anthony Pettis was able to put him out cold. Now this is a guy who, a year ago, a little over a year ago, was fighting at 145 pounds. That was probably one of the bigger mistakes of his career. Obviously, you know, he had trouble making that weight and, and he didn't make it, which cost him, you know, a potential interim title uh, with Max Holloway when he fought him. You know, since he didn't make the weight, he wasn't eligible for that title if he were to win that fight. So, moves up to 170 pounds, knocks out a guy that nobody's been able to figure out. You know, uh, Tyron Woodley put Wonder Boy on his ass, and you know people have touched him up a little bit, but nobody's been able to put this guy out in 80 fights. Anthony Pettis, former featherweight, is able to come up to the welterweight division and put him out cold. Now, a lot of the dialogue before this fight was about how much bigger Stephen Thompson would be, and he would be just too much for Pettis, but. If you look at the evidence we've been seeing lately, I mean, if you just look as recently as last week, we saw a guy in Jorge Masvidal who has fought at lightweight knock out a guy in Darren Till who is essentially a middleweight that sucks all the way down to 170 pounds. So you have a guy who's fought at 155. You have a guy who should be fighting at 185. Size didn't matter there. The guy moving up had the power advantage. And the guy who is bigger has a disadvantage when it comes to taking shots because he's sucking himself out more. Uh, his brain is not as hydrated. And it, you're starting to see a trend here. And I, I would really love to see a lot more guys move up in weight like Anthony Pettis does. You know, a lot of the most successful fighters we're seeing now are making these moves you know you look at guys like Kelvin Gastelum you look at Robert Whitaker you know Whitaker is another guy he got knocked out by Wonder Boy at 170 pounds he moves up to 185 now he's a champ Gastelum same thing he was sucking himself out he wasn't getting knocked out at welterweight but you know he was having a hard time with his cardio and everything like that he's moves up to 185 he's gonna be fighting for the title soon there's just so many examples of you know, guys and girls alike who have had success in moving up in weight and they feel so much better and they feel so much stronger 
you know, Anthony Pettis is not a guy who was knocking people out with punches. That was just not his thing. You know, he would knock people out with flashy kicks and, and things like that. And he had a lot of submissions off his back. He wasn't knocking people out with punches. Uh, I, I can't remember a time where that's happened. If you can, feel free to correct me. You know, reach out to me on social media and let me know what time that happened. Um, definitely not any time. Here, I'll even take a look at his record. And, yeah. Um, Joe Lozon, he knocked it. He finished with punches, but it was really a head kick that set it up. That's going back to 2012. Uh, you'd have to go back into WEC days. I don't know if he's... All right, TKO by punches against Gabe Wallbridge in 2008 at GFS Seasons Beatings. Great, great name uh, for a... <laughs> that's a great name for a, for a fight promotion. Seasons Beatings. Wonderful. In any case, so Pettis moves up, and he's got knockout power in his hands all of a sudden. Maybe he's always had it, but, uh, you know, because he was depleting himself so much to make lightweight now pettis wants to he doesn't care he'll he'll take he he wants the winner of justin gaethje edson barbosa i like that call out that's a great move for him it's kind of a tough spot for pettis moving into welterweight because uh you know two of the top guys in the division are his training partners and tyron woodley and ben Askren, and you know the, those two guys have been at the top of the division um, well, Woodley has for a while, and Askren, uh, you know, at undefeated, has to be in that conversation. I think he's ranked number six right now. So he said he wants that fight, or, um, you know, he wants another fight at at welterweight, and he wants to see, you know, whatever Dana White wants for him. I would like to see him at welterweight, but you know, it's kind of murky when. Uh, when you got two of your teammates in, in the top 10, you know, how does Pettis fit into that picture and fight guys while also avoiding, uh, you know, fighting his teammates? You know, maybe we get Pettis and Mosfidal down the line. That would be a fucking awesome fight. I would love to see that. Actually, I just thought of that right now. That would be that would be pretty spectacular. As for Wonderboy, I don't think he loses any stock here, but... Man, this is a tough one. This is, this sets him back uh, quite a ways. You know, I, I know he has it in his head that he wants to be a champion one day. I think it's not outside of the realm of possibility. But you know, thirty six years old and coming off a knockout like that, he's he's got to take a good six months off with no contact. So it could be another eight months to a year before we see Stephen Thompson back in there, and then he's got to climb back up there he's gonna have to have an impressive performance over you know a good handful a few impressive performances over a good handful of top contenders to get back in there for a title it was looking good for wonder boy too man because you know nobody wanted to see him and woodley in there for a third time and now you have a new champion you know this was the time for wonder boy to make a run so you got to feel bad for wonder boy um you know, you can feel bad for Wonder Boy and still feel good for Pettis uh, and be happy for him because he's been through a lot of trials and tribulations in his career as of late. But, you know, Wonder Boy is just such a nice fucking guy, man. <laughs> you know, they, they interviewed him like at the hospital. I think his dad posted a video on social media and he's like, 
I didn't see a dang thing coming. And he was just so, <laughs> you know, polite southern gentleman about it. You kind of, you got to feel for the guy a little bit. I mean, there's, he's he's a hard guy to root against because he's just so nice. Um, but yeah, he's gonna have to definitely take some time off, heal heal up, and then come back. Um, he'll have to have an impressive performance against against the top guy in this division, which is you know no easy task uh, for sure. You know, he hasn't had a finish in a long time. He had that controversial decision with with Darren Till in his last fight, uh, which I, I thought he won, but, you know, it took place in England. So in any case, awesome main event, awesome main event. And, you know, it was ESPN Plus, so this thing was over, I think, 11 o'clock Eastern, something something around there, which was really refreshing. I was a, I got home late because I uh, actually went out to the movies last night for the first time, and it uh, feels like forever. But uh, in-laws watched the baby and uh, went to a new restaurant in Tampa called Whiskey Cake. If you're ever in the Tampa Bay area, I highly recommend it. Or if you live in the Dallas, Texas area, um, there, there's a couple of other locations in, in Texas as well. But this is a very Texas-style restaurant. And they had like over 300 bottles of whiskey. So as you can imagine, this is definitely right up my alley. And the food is really good. Everything is like mesquite smoked and everything like that. Cocktails were good. And then they do whiskey flights. So... I'm gonna get into a little bit of whiskey talk just because I, uh, yeah, I started, and you know we can get back to the fights later. You guys aren't that interested in my opinion about the fights, are you? So um, I got an Irish whiskey flight, and it was really good. So they bring you out four whiskeys. I think they do like ounce and a half pours, and um, yeah, you, you know they have different ones. You could do a bourbon flight. You could do a Scotch flight. Uh, I think there was a rye whiskey flight and uh, Irish whiskey. So uh, I'll tell you the one I enjoyed the most, and it was one called Connemara, which is a single malt peated Irish whiskey. Now, Irish whiskey typically is like very smooth finish, you know, vanilla-y flavors, not too woody, not too oaky, not too smoky, none of that. Uh, that that's not typical of Irish whiskey. But this Connemara is a peated whiskey, which means it's got a smoky flavor to it, almost like a scotch, but a little bit woodier. So whereas scotches will be like a, a peaty smoke. So they take this moss called peat moss and they, they, they burn it and use the smoke to dry out the barley. And then that's what gives the scotch uh, this, the smoky flavor. Uh, so that's what they did with this Irish whiskey, which is very unorthodox for Irish whiskey. But um, that's why I, I, I really enjoyed it. And then I had a, a Red Breast, which is a 12-year Irish whiskey. And I believe they do it in oak barrels. So it's like really mellowed out. And that was, that was really nice. So um, after that, I went to the movies. I saw the movie Us, the new Jordan Peele movie, which was... Excellent. I'm a big fan of horror movies. I, I liked Get Out. I thought that was a, a really cool, different movie. I think his directing style is really awesome. And um, this movie, Us, is more straight horror, whereas Get Out was kind of like suspense, like 
what the fuck is going on here uh yeah us is much much more of a horror film which i enjoyed uh, i thought it was really good i think he's an excellent director I, I would definitely look forward to his next film whatever that may be i hope it's i hope it's a horror movie because it's, it's pretty much all i watch i watch fights and i watch horror movies and um you know i enjoy whiskey and beer with with either of those things so that was kind of cool cool movie and then when i got home it was uh you know the we were into the main card a little bit so i liked that it was over early so i could go back and watch some of the other fights but i'm not gonna bullshit you guys i did not catch all of this card i watched everything on the main event i saw some highlights from the prelims and I'll get into that, but let's talk about the co-main event now. Curtis Blades and Justin Willis. These guys had some kind of drama going into this where Justin Willis was talking about Curtis Blades' dad or something. He was like, your dad can't help you. And Curtis Blades kept his mouth shut. And then when that cage door shut, he beat the fuck out of Justin Willis for three rounds. Now, this is not the kind of performance that most people are going to appreciate. I appreciated the fuck out of this performance from Curtis Blades. I love seeing this kind of one-sided domination from guys. And if this is not entertaining to you, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, maybe mixed martial arts is not your sport. Maybe it's not something that you enjoy as much as you think you do. Because this is the example I go back to time and time again. Have you ever taken a grown man and held him on the ground who does not want to be held there? Just a regular person. And how difficult that is to do. Now take a professional athlete who's really strong, really explosive, really big, and really powerful. And also, he wants to punch you in the face once he does get up. The way Curtis Blades held Justin Willis down for three rounds was masterful the way he was like hit I, I think his ride time might have been 15 minutes in this fight and that's not much of an exaggeration he got him down and he would not let him up justin willis was doing everything he could and you could just see the look of desperation on his face i think willis landed one significant strike in this fight um out of the three judges i think the scores were 30 27 30 26 30 25 I would lean more towards the 30-25 score because I think it was just that dominant. I mean, Justin Willis did nothing to Curtis Blades. He wasn't able to stop the takedown. And at the end, Curtis Blades was like, go home. Go home and work on your wrestling. <laughs> and I thought that was awesome. So Curtis Blades, one of the best wrestlers in the heavyweight uh, division. He's a junior college wrestler. Um, you, you know, heavyweights typically are are not very wrestling heavy in MMA. That's because a lot of big guys don't get into wrestling. I mean, obviously you have your Daniel Cormier's and your Brock Lesnar's, but those are like the unicorns of the world. I mean, wrestling is usually uh, a smaller guy's sport. Um, you know, you see a lot more, you'll see a lot more Henry Cejudo's and, uh, <laughs> and Ben Askren's than you will, um, you know, Brock Lesnar's. But, Again, just a fantastic performance by Curtis Blades. I, I can't trust that enough. And then he got a little emotional at the end, not like he was crying or anything, but 
you know, still pissed off at Justin Willis because, you know, the guy was talking about his family and he was able to keep it composed. He went in there, he put the beating on him, and then he still felt like he needed to get something off his chest. So Curtis Blades calls out um, three of the guys uh, ranked above him. So Junior Dos Santos, Francis Ngannou, and one more that's escaping my mind right now. I know some of you guys are yelling at your phones or yelling at your radios or yelling at your computers right now because uh, I can't think of it. But uh, I'm sorry, guys. I don't I don't have any show notes or anything here, so I don't have the rankings in front of me. But whoever that guy is, oh, Stipe, Stipe Miocic. So he um, he wants one of those three, and I think that's an excellent call out. You know, if he gets any one of those guys to bite. Um, in Ganu, I don't see happening just because, you know, we've seen that twice already. And yeah, it had unfortunate endings for Curtis Blades both times. And one time he got cut and the second time was an early stoppage TKO. Uh, so yeah, he'd be hard pressed to get that fight. Um, I think Dos Santos would be the most likely just because he's, you know, the most willing to throw down Stipe, I think is still holding out for that Cormier fight, man. He wants that bad, man. You know, say what you will about that. I uh, I don't really have an opinion on that strategy by Stipe. There's a lot of people going back and forth like, oh, he's, he's overrated and he got finished too quick. And then other people are like, Stipe deserves it. He was the winningest heavyweight champion in history. And I'm not on either side of the fence, guys. I don't have – I just don't. I mean, I love Stipe. I think he's he's a great fighter. I love watching him fight. I just don't care about the, you know, I just want to see him get in there. If it's against Cormier, that's fine. And if it's not, you know, that's cool too. I'm going to watch Stipe fight every single time. Uh, so going down this card, we had John McDessey and Jesus Pinedo. Um, so Pinedo, young Peruvian fighter, 22 years old, I believe. Uh, taking a loss against the much more experienced McDessey here. So I told you guys last week that this would, would be an exciting one because McDessey has an exciting style and, you know, Pinedo is a young kid, so I thought he would come at him with a lot of fire, but he didn't. So the thing about John McDessey is he will fight you at your own pace, basically. He likes to counter-strike and... Whatever energy you give him is what he's going to give back to you. And he's not really going to increase the tempo on you. So my prediction was based on the fact that this is a young kid who's looking to prove a point. And he would come in there, you know, guns blazing against McDessey. That wasn't the case. Uh, and McDessey was just able to outpoint him and, and using it, his experience. And, you know, not not a whole lot to see there. Um, then we had... Uh, Lucier Formiga uh, going against, I believe, the undefeated Davison Figueredo. And he pretty much, Formiga pretty much uh, dominated this fight. Uh, he's, you know, the number one flyweight. He should probably get to fight the champ, Henry Suhudo, But, you know, there's a lot of drama going on there with. Um, you know, Henry Cejudo trying to move up to bantamweight. And let's just talk about that because I don't have a whole lot to say about the rest of this card. I, I will talk about a couple of other fights, but let's get into the bantamweight drama right now. So last week, TJ Dillashaw releases a statement and 
he basically said that, you know, in a drug test that he took before his fight with Henry Cejudo, they found something irregular and he failed the drug test. He's going to have his team working on it. And in the meantime, he doesn't want to hold up the bantamweight division because it's unfair to the other fighters and to the fans. So he relinquished his title voluntarily. Now, uh, a couple of things come to mind. You know, because the, USADA has has caught a, a bunch of guys that were later to be found innocent, so to speak. Or, you know, they didn't do exactly what was first thought when the test results came back. You know, Josh Barnett comes to mind. Josh Barnett lost, you know, a good two years of his career because of the USADA test. It turned out to be a mistake. And... um Maybe it was a mistake with TJ, maybe not. Um, it, you kind of have to wonder what he could have been taking. You know, obviously, there's been a lot of accusations out there, especially coming from his former team, uh, Team Alpha Male, saying, oh, he taught everybody to use steroids, which was kind of funny to me because it was Cody Garbrandt who said that at a press conference. He was like, oh, yeah, TJ's on everything. He taught everybody at Team Alpha Male how to use steroids. But I guess what Cody forgot was that he's part of Team Alpha Male, so by saying that, he's kind of insinuating that he takes steroids. Um, you, you know, I guess just not the brightest match in the box. Um, not a smart statement, but you, you got to wonder what TJ was taking before this Henry Cejudo fight. Obviously, he's not taking any anabolic steroids that that would help him to bulk up because he's was trying to cut down the flyweight so that kind of eliminates that my theory is that it's just some kind of banned diuretic that he was using to cut weight um uh, you know something silly like that um you know it's possibly could have been on some other kind of pd but uh who knows really but um you got to give credit to tj dillashaw here i know i was i was busting his balls personally and i was posting some memes and stuff uh, on Instagram, but that's just because I'm a lighthearted guy. I don't like to, <laughs> I like to make light of situations like this and make jokes out of it. But you got to give a lot of credit to TJ because he could have held on to his title and appealed this and held up the division and everything like that. But he did relinquish it, you know. And that was a stand-up move. I mean, it was probably. You know, the, the team he has around him advised him to do that and everything like that. But, you know, for for such a fierce competitor like TJ Dillashaw to say, all right, you guys go on without me while I sort this out uh, and then yeah, I'll be back. And uh, I'm sorry, guys. You know, that's a stand up move. You got to give it up to TJ Dillashaw for that. Now, uh, as this unfolds, we got to find out what it was he did and what he tested positive for um again i assume it was some kind of banned diuretic that he was using to make the weight uh which i hope he never does again so at bantamweight we have uh an interesting situation now because supposedly tj and henry were very close to signing a fight so okay do you continue do you give henry that fight for the bantamweight title because he was already going to fight TJ or does that go away now and do you make him go back to flyweight and defend his title there against Formiga then you also have Marlon Marais who was kind of put on the back burner because of the whole 
TJ Henry thing. I, he, he even took an extra fight after already earning the title shot. So, okay, those are the two guys um, it, that you probably put in there for an interim. You know, Henry has a win over the the former champion TJ, and, and Marlon has earned his spot. Um, but then you have, you know, Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, there's an interesting dialogue there because he has the loss to Marlon Marais. Do, do you put those two in there? Um, and he's been on a tear lately, um, definitely deserving of a title shot. And then you got Pedro Munoz, you know, coming out of the woodwork, uh, with a, with a knockout over Cory Garbrandt, you know, recency effect, you know, he's got the most recent win out of the, out of this batch of guys. So he threw his name in the hat and why not? Um, I think what probably happens is you do Munoz and, Aljamain Sterling, and then you do Marais and Cejudo. And um, I don't know where Dominic Cruz is in all of this. I don't know if he's injured or, uh, you know, how he fits into this picture. If Dominic Cruz is in the picture, I would say you do Aljamain Sterling and Dominic Cruz, and the winner of that gets the winner of Cejudo and Marais. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, it sucks if you're a flyweight right now because nobody's really paying attention to you. Jose uh, Formiga had a completely dominant performance last night, and, and nobody's going to talk about it because everybody wants to know what's going to happen next with bantamweight, and Henry Cejudo kind of you know, gets lumped in with that conversation just because you know he's got the win over Dillashaw, and you know maybe he can insert himself into that title picture, but maybe not. Uh, if you don't give it to Cejudo, I think Marais and Sterling is the fight to make. I think that's a marketable fight. That's something that can sell. Um, you know, but over the last two years, if you look at the high re- highlight reel of these two guys, Aljo and Marais, um, just phenomenal. You've got crazy submissions. You've got, uh, you know, flying kick knockouts, um, really, really good stuff. Uh, I, I think that's a fun fight. All right, let's jump back into Fight Night 148. So we had uh, Luis Pena with a unanimous decision over Steven Peterson. Now, you guys know how much of a pet peeve it is for me when guys don't make weight. Luis Pena is six foot three, and he was trying to make 145 pounds. Now, this is not a guy with a high body fat percentage that, you know, needed to lose weight and drop down a weight class. This is a guy who decided, I'm going to suck myself all the way down to try and get an advantage over smaller guys in a fist fight. He missed weight by over three pounds. He still had time to cut more weight, and he declined. Instead, he just paid the fine. I think it was 30% of his purse to Steven Peterson. And, you know, Dominic Cruz said it best. It's sanctioned cheating. Um, you know, obviously you have another cage fighter that that you've agreed to fight with. They're not going to walk away and say, no, I'm not going to take a paycheck at all uh, because you missed weight. And I, the size advantage isn't even a big deal. You know, three pounds is not a big deal. I mean, we just saw, I, I just gave you guys a whole bunch of examples, you know, Pettis moving up and fighting Wonder Boy and 
Masvidal knocking out Till and, and Robert Whitaker and all the other examples I gave you guys. It's not the size. You know, it's it's the principle. You agree to fight at a certain weight, and then you say, no, on second thought, I don't feel like making it. Um, so here, I'll just give you some money, and uh, I'm not going to cut the rest of this weight. I'm not going to suck myself down anymore. I'm going to rehydrate, um, you know, so I can have more of an advantage over you. And that's fucked up, you know, that that's really fucked up. I, I really hate when guys do shit like this. You know, it, if you feel like you can't compete at a certain weight and you need to suck yourself down and move down, fine, do it. I, I'm not a fan of it. I'm more of a fan of, of seeing guys move up and compete at a healthy weight. It's fine. If you feel like, you know, moving down a weight class is the right move for you, then, you know, get a nutritionist and talk to the people around you and find out if you can do it safely. But, you know, don't quit at the weight cut and then show up to the fight and still expect people to give you the same amount of respect. So Steven Peterson and his coaches wouldn't shake Luis Pena's hand at the end of this fight. Now, I can kind of see both sides on this one, too. You know, Pena had extra time to cut the weight. He could have done it. He didn't. Uh, he chose not to. He quit. He gave up uh, on the weight cut, which, you know, that's half the job. Half the job is to me- make the weight that you agreed to fight at, and the other half is to get in a cage and fight the fight. Uh, on the other side of the coin, you know, with Peterson, it's like you knew he missed the weight. You decided to fight him anyway. He was the better man that night. It, it, it's probably not because of those three extra pounds. I mean, yeah, it's probably a little bit of an advantage, but, uh, you know, not that much to make. And it was a close fight, too. Um, so as fucked up as it was, I still say shake the guy's hand. You know, you still agreed to compete. You competed. Uh, you know, you guys both did your best, and then at the end of it, um you know, shake the guy's hand. You don't have to be, you don't have to be his best friend or anything like that. But, you know, I get the argument like, oh, we don't respect him because, you know, he quit on the weight cut. I get that too. Um, so probably spent, probably spent more time talking about this than I needed to. Uh, Macy Barber looked okay last night against JJ Aldrich. She almost got knocked out in the first round. Aldrich landed a nice uh, straight left, sent Macy Barber flying back into the cage and, and, uh, she dropped her another time and, you know, she showed some resilience for, you know, the youngest fighter on the roster, 20 years old. She showed she could take a punch and come back and she got the TKO the second round. She looked pretty good. Uh, Marlon Vera, uh, with a TKO, uh, just a minute into the first round against Frankie science. I, I did not see that fight, but you know, just reading the results, that's, uh, very impressive to me. So I need to go back and check that one out. Uh, Random Marcos armbar submission over Angela Hill in the first round. That that's impressive as well. I got to go back and check that one out. And uh, I can't tell you this from having witnessed it, but I heard that Bryce Mitchell and Bobby Moffat had an awesome fight on the prelims that went to distance. Bryce Mitchell coming away with the unanimous decision. I do plan on going back to watch that one, but I'm not gonna bullshit you guys. Pretend like I watched it. I just heard through the grapevine that it was a good fight and I want to check it out. So 
if I if I'm missing anything else from this card, if there's anything else I really need to go back and check out, please do uh, reach out. And let me know on social media. You guys know how to get a hold of me at MMA on the Rocks. Let's look forward to next weekend. And man, I feel like I'm saying this every week, but like it's in like nonstop events and not a bad problem to have uh, <laughs> uh unless you like really want to have a social life outside of mma but you guys have the option to just you know not tune in and listen to me talk about it later on you know i kind of feel obligated to watch all these things um but this one coming up man this is a fucking barn burner philadelphia pennsylvania ufc on espn2 and if you want to highlight mixed martial arts uh, at an elite level, man, can you make a better fight than Edson Barbosa and Justin Gaethje? I mean, these are two guys who are 100% game every time they step in there, and they're not going to stop throwing until somebody falls down and doesn't get up. Uh, that's just the kind of fighter both of these guys are. Now, they're both very different. You know, they both have outstanding leg kicks. Barbosa has incredible timing and and great cardio. Justin Gaethje is just a madman. Um, you know, he gets in there. He gets in the pocket. He wants to fight in a phone booth, so to speak, and just swing on you. You know, Barbosa is a little more methodical. He likes to use his timing. He likes to place his shots. Um I I have to give a grappling advantage to Justin Gaethje since he's the collegiate wrestler, but um, you'll never see him shoot for a takedown, so that doesn't really matter. Um, you know, every now and then you'll see him pick somebody up and throw him on the floor, but, uh, you, you know, my money would not be on this fight going to the ground. So uh, this is that, that's just an awesome fight. I mean, if you want to... If you want to put a bet on somebody, like, good luck. Flip a fucking coin. Uh, <laughs> I don't give – I you guys know I don't give fight picks. Um, but even if I did, fuck, man, I don't know what to tell you. This is like – this is going to be like whoever lands more big shots uh, and is able to knock the other guy out. I, I don't know. So the co-main event, we got David Branch and Jack Hermanson. David Branch, you know – He's a guy you never know what you're going to get. Maybe he's going to knock somebody out in the first round, and you know maybe he's just going to putter around for three rounds and lose a decision. Um, but you know that kind of makes him worth watching because you really never know. You could get an outstanding performance. You could get a dud, but why not roll the dice? I mean, he's in there with Jack Hermanson, who's coming off a submission win over Gerald Mearshart, also fighting on this card against Kevin Holland. So big card for uh, middleweights. And then potential fight of the night, in my opinion, Josh Emmett and Michael Johnson. Um, you know, uh, the main event aside, this is potential fight of the night. These are two guys with really fast hands. Both have really crisp boxing. Michael Johnson, obviously a great wrestler, but again, you're probably not going to see him use it. He's going to want to stand with Josh Emmett. Um, Josh Emmett hasn't been in there, I think, since he fought Jeremy Stevens, uh, and that was a fantastic fight. And then 
if you're into the female strawweights, we got Karolina Kovogovic and the karate hottie Michelle Watterson. Um, so that's an awesome strawweight matchup right there. Uh, these are two ladies who like to stand and strike. Michelle Watterson does have a little bit better of a submission game, but you know, again, kind of the theme of this card, I would imagine, uh, it's not going to go to the ground. Um, but if Michelle Watterson wanted to take it there, uh, I think she probably could, you know, Carolina has good submission defense, but a good takedown defense, but, um, you know, Michelle Watterson is a little bit more experienced in MMA. So then what else we got here? Alexa Grasso, uh, she's coming off another, uh, this is another female strawweight fight. Alexa Grasso coming off the loss to Tatiana Suarez, who a lot of people are already labeling as the next, uh, next big thing in the strawweights. They already think she's going to be the champ one day and you know hard to argue against it tatiana suarez is a is a beast in this division so alexa grasso trying to rebound off that loss against the undefeated marina rodriguez so that should be a really awesome contest there uh let's see i already said kevin holland and gerald mirchart um yeah i've been high on gerald mirchart for a long time you know he's coming out of the the rufus sport camp so, you know, he's training with Ben Askren and Tyron Woodley and Anthony Pettis and all those guys. And I think he's really talented. Tevin, uh, Kevin Holland is going to be a really tough test <clears throat> for him, though. So Mearshart trying to rebound off that loss to Jack Hermanson. And uh, Kevin Holland is coming off a submission victory. Both of these guys have losses to Tiago Santos, who you know, has since moved up to light heavyweight. So see if there's anything else worth pointing out on this card. Nothing else really jumping out at me. If Jeff were here, he would probably point out one more for you guys, but you know, we're going to have to go without that. So, you know, reach out to Jeff if you want to know his pick for, for what the, uh, the fight to watch is for next week but overall this is going to be a great card i mean this main event in itself is worth tuning in for all right guys so we did some recapping we did some previewing i talked about movies talked about booze i'm starting to lose my voice a little bit so i'm gonna go enjoy the rest of this sunday night and and probably have a drink and i hope the rest of you are able to do the same or at least find your happy place wherever that is i mean if you're listening to this later in the week and you're at work then you know just think about getting out of work and going to uh jujitsu or going to going for a run or getting to the gym or going to the bar and having a drink whatever it is you like to do going bowling i don't know what the fuck you guys do so reach out to me and let me know you guys know how to get a hold of me at mma on the rocks twitter instagram facebook you send me an email mma on the rocks gmail.com and please go to the website mma on the rocks.com every monday i'm going to be writing a new article i believe this monday's article is going to be about fighters moving up in weight so something that i was talking about a lot about on the podcast today the article is going to be a little bit more detail oriented some more examples uh, a little bit more research behind it 
uh, you know, the articles I actually put some thought into. It's not like the podcast here where I just plug and go every week and say whatever's on my mind and just talk for an hour straight until I get tired of talking. Uh, you know, the, the articles I actually do put some thought into them. So please go check those out. Uh, share those on your social media platforms. Uh, if you so desire, it, it always helps. It helps when you guys share the episodes and leave reviews, please. If you're listening on, uh, you know, Apple podcasts or Google play or stitcher, wherever you're listening, please do leave a review. Uh, it, it does help quite a bit. All right. That's all I got for this week. So until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye.